Hello and welcome to the Edify Podcast. This is designed for you, preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon of the kingdom of God, for your edification, for your uplifting, for your ministry. There's a place that goes by the name of Mensa Christi, which means table of Christ. And it's suited on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it's a quiet, uh, rocky beach, if you will, and commemorates the spot that Jesus served breakfast to seven disciples um, on the morning after his resurrection. I don't know if you'll ever go there, uh, or if I ever will, but if you ever are able to go there, uh, there's a small outdoor amphitheater that's near the shoreline, and what would be ideal is to sit down at that place and read John 21 as you envision the disciples sitting around an open fire, uh, eating a breakfast of fish and of bread. Uh, it's not hard to imagine the conversation between Jesus and Peter where you hear, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And you hear Jesus say, feed my sheep. Tears fall uh, from time to time as we read passages of Scripture. And John 21 uh, is one of such passages that will will move you. Maybe because uh, you identify with Peter. Maybe you have also made very big promises to God and you have failed to carry them out. Maybe you wonder whether you're really cut out for ministry. Maybe there's times that you consider taking up a different line of work where you <laughs> didn't think fishing would do it, but there's other possibilities in your in your tool pouch, if you will. Maybe it's not just that you identify with Peter in his stumbling, but you also share with Peter in his deep love for Jesus. Peter's words find an echo uh, in our hearts where he says, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Even when my actions have not shown it, maybe even when when we failed God or we failed others, we, we know that God knows our heart and he knows that we love him. Sometimes we love him poorly, uh, but we love him truly. Maybe you're also amazed, by the way, that Jesus recommissions Peter into service, even on the far side of his defection and his desertion. One of the saddest scriptures in all of all of the Bible is where it says that they all forsook him, that is Jesus, and they fled. But even after such a horrible, saddening verse that comes across my heart and rips my heart open. I see Jesus there with Peter and looking at him and saying, feed my sheep, or feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Jesus has already called Peter to be a fisher of me in Matthew 4 and verse 19, but now he calls him to be a shepherd of sheep. See, we are feeding God's sheep in whatever way that we are because of love. Maybe you've heard a bunch of sermons on John 21. Maybe maybe you're preaching on John 21 this week where Jesus calls to Peter. 
Maybe, maybe you look at your commission to Jesus, commissioned by the gospel to feed Christ's sheep, especially for those of you who shepherd, that you specifically shepherd sheep. But you're very painfully aware of your own failings. Nevertheless, you know that you have been called by Scripture to feed and to lead Christ's people because you love him. When it comes to motivations for preaching, we sometimes miss the most basic of all motivations, love for Jesus. You notice that Jesus did not ask Peter, do you love my sheep? Instead, he only asked, do you love me? If our primary motivation for preaching is a love for people, we will struggle when people are hard to love. After all, it's very, very clear, very well known that sheep can wander, sheep can bite. But when ministry motivation arises from a genuine love for Jesus, for Christ, when you're compelled to love and to worship and to serve him, you've got a very good reason to stay faithful, especially since the one who calls us knows our less than rock-solid track record. Having been forgiven so much by Christ, we love him much and we show our love through feeding his sheep and as we preach his word. Like Peter, we, we very willingly embrace the call to shepherd the flock of God, 1 Peter 5 and verse 2. While there are many worthy motivations for ministry, the greatest of these is love. Love for Christ strengthens our souls to faithful and to faithfully feeding God's sheep. Not only do we feed because of God's love, but we follow because of God's love. John 21 doesn't end with Peter's recommissioning to service. The, the shoreline conversation between Jesus and Peter continues with some news Peter really might have found very unsettling. Where Jesus says to him in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus' words, you know, while they're cryptic, absolutely, they have a ominous feel to them. I mean, immediately after welcoming Peter back into the ministry, Jesus warns him about his eventual suffering and death. Understandably, Peter has questions, wouldn't you? Peter, Peter wonders uh, when all of this will happen, what it will look like. What, when Will he ever be able to handle it, or, or will he crumble again? Will he give in? Will he, will he stop being faithful, you know, as he did in the high priest's courtyard? And his questions must have multiplied in his mind as they would have in my mind and in yours. Peter turns and sees John standing nearby. And he asks Jesus whether John is headed for the same kind of full, painful ending. He says in verse 21, Lord, what about this man? Jesus doesn't even go there. He says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, that is, what is that to you? You follow me. And evidently John's story is none of Peter's business. All he needs to know is that he is to follow Jesus wherever it leads and whatever it costs. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Horse and His Boy, Young Shasta has an encounter with Aslan. Not, a, not at daybreak on a quiet shoreline, but in the dark of night in a dense forest, Shasta pours out his life story, recounting painful hardships he's experienced. And to his surprise, he learns that Aslan has been powerfully present in each of them. Still confused, Shasta asks about Aslan's dealing with Aravis, a young girl that he had met in his journeys, journeys, and he said, "Child, he said, child, I, I'm telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own." 
So like Peter and Shasta, we sometimes have questions about those around us. We look over our shoulders in ministry, see some who uh, seem to have it better or at least easier than we do. And we ask the question, Lord, what about this man? Will he experience the kind of hardships that I'm facing? But Jesus doesn't go there. He doesn't tell us another man's story. He simply calls us to follow him. There's a phrase in the text of John 21 that is strangely reassuring to me. After Jesus gives Peter a a glimpse of his future, John adds, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Verse 19. I see a promise embedded in these words. Peter's death was not to be viewed as tragic uh, or or a, a wasteful end to a life of service, but his final act of earthly service as the God-glorifying finale to his life song. Jesus viewed his own death through the lens of bringing glory to God. And on the night that he was arrested, he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. John 17, verse 1. Peter's death would follow the, the pattern of his Lord and bring glory to God. Tradition tells us Peter was crucified like Jesus uh, and his words in 28 and verse 18 of John were, were eerie precise. Peter literally did stretch out his hands. And there's some historical evidence that Peter had one final request of those who crucified him. He asked to be crucified upside down, not feeling worthy to die in the same position as his Lord. Peter's love for Jesus strengthened him to follow faithfully to the very end. Love for Christ strengthens our souls to faithfully follow him for a lifetime. My Jesus, I love thee. Maybe there's times in your life where you get anxious about how your story will end. Maybe maybe cancer. Maybe pains, new worries, new things. Uh, maybe there's a bad visit to an oncologist. We don't want to go there. We don't want to have those conversations. We don't want to be made known our our impending doom. I don't know the answer to any anybody's death or to yours um, any more than Peter knew on the morning of his Lake Shore conversation with the Lord. All I know is that I have been called into Christ's service by His grace. I've been commissioned, and you've been commissioned to feed His people, young and old. And if you are if you are listening to this and you are called by the gospel to preach God's word, the same holds true to you. So give yourself to the joyful task of studying his word, preparing sermons, seeking to make them as nourishing and as appetizing as possible. Refuse to be paralyzed by the fear of what could happen in the future, focusing instead on what needs to happen in the present. Out of love for the one who has forgiven you and, and given you this calling through his gospel. Stay faithful until your earthly story ends. Let's go back to Mensa Christi. Let's go back to the small chapel near the water's edge, the little amphitheater. Crowd around in this little stone-walled room. Look around at the sparrows darting around the room and above the heads. And have a renewed sense of your efforts in ministry. Maybe stand around with a few brothers or sisters and sing that old faithful tune. My Jesus, I love thee. I know that thou art mine. 
For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. I want you to leave the table of Christ in your mind or there at there on Sunday when you're feasting with God's people at the table of Jesus. Have a renewed sense of zeal, calling to the ministry. Focus on God's word. Preach God's word. Feed God's people. Have a renewed sense of love for the one who called you into ministry through his gospel. Keeping your love strong for Christ is the main way we keep our hearts strong as preachers and as servants. Isaiah reads in verse chapter 40, verse 6 and 8, All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. That needs to stand in your mind. It needs to stand over you. If you could take a piece of duct tape or a piece of white scotch tape, stretch it across your pulpit on the inside and right there in a thick permanent ink marker on that tape the man is the message whatever you do in life as a preacher make sure you preach Jesus make sure you preach Jesus Follow the admonition given in the Proverbs writer, chapter 4 and verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And while this instruction applies to all people, it has specific or special, if you want to call it, implications for preachers especially. As Jesus reminded the religious teachers of his day, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12, 34. If the springs of our heart become muddied, the words that flow from our lips will be as well. Keeping our hearts with with vigilance will require continual attention, conscious effort. We'll need to practice personal soul care, developing a, a devotional life that's larger than our sermon preparation. We'll, we'll need to avoid whatever soul is our soul and, and repent quickly when sinful thoughts and attitudes and actions really muddy our hearts. Keeping our hearts with with vigilance will prompt us to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Reminding ourselves of the saving and sanctifying grace that comes to us in Christ, we must learn to find our identity in our position in Christ, not our performance as preachers or elders or deacons. We also keep our hearts by entrusting them to allies who love us, and they love us enough to speak truth to us. Most of all, we keep our hearts by keeping our first love for Christ. The rhythms and the routines that we follow to keep our hearts not only prepare us to preach, they do something even more important. They draw us closer to Christ. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you're not necessarily a preacher or a teacher or an elder or deacon, you're, you're a minister in some way, you minister to your home, maybe you're a mama. Maybe you're a mama and you're doing your best to minister to your home as a faithful servant of Jesus. Love Jesus. The perspectives and the practices that we embrace to keep our hearts are used by God to conform us into Christ's image, to change us, quote, literally from one degree of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Our lives uh, are, are inc increasingly, they, they will always reflect the glorious message that we proclaim. 
Uh, I want you to look at that tape that's inside of your your pulpit that will always ring true. We become the message. Jesus is the message, and we become that message. Our lives give voice to the truth that we proclaim. Preaching is hard work, There, there's, but that's true. And that's not great revelation <laughs> to anybody who's ongoing in preaching ministry. What often comes is a surprise. And what I've wanted to communicate through this podcast in this first season is that this this hardest this hardest part of preaching is the heart work. And it's the heart work that it requires. But while heart work is demanding, it is also glorious. And it's enabled by grace. It's done in response to God's greater work for us, in us, and through us as preachers. We keep our hearts because we know God keeps us. So the way that I want to end this episode of this first season is with the great words of our brother Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.